Candy from Strangers by Mark Coggins is original, smart, and good to the last page, says best-selling author and executive producer of the hit TV series Bosch, Michael Connolly. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 25, A Walk on the Wild Side I was itching to get home to memorialize Beth's compliment in my diary, but I decided it would be a good idea to check in with Gretchen before I knocked off for the day. For one thing, it would be nice to hear her voice, and for another, I was feeling at loose ends. With Needy and Levin out of the running, and Wesson tacitly accepted as not guilty, I wasn't quite sure where to turn. I hoped Gretchen would have some advice or news of a development that would get me started again. She did, but it took me a long time to appreciate a big part of it. I coasted down Pennsylvania Avenue to 22nd Street and got out to use a payphone near the train station. It was a funny area. Ultra-modern artist lofts rubbed shoulders with warehouses and industrial yards from businesses founded in the early 1900s which in turn played footsie with homeless encampments in the parking areas near the station. The dwellings ranged from cardboard and tar paper tents on the low end to abandoned camper vans and RVs on the high end. Overhead was the massive Highway 280 Skyway, rumbling ominously with traffic like a distant bombardment, and down an embankment reachable only via a steep set of rickety wooden stairs lay the roadbed of the commuter train. The station itself was nothing more than a wide spot along the tracks, shielded from the elements by the skyway. The phone was off the street near the top of the stairs. I dropped my 50 cents just as the engine from a northbound train poked through a tunnel a few hundred yards from the station. The line rang a long time before Gretchen picked up. It's your favorite P.I., I said when she finally answered. What I figured, she said. You usually manage to call when I'm halfway to the elevator. Where are you off to at, I glanced at my watch, 5.20. I'll have you know I got in at 7.30 this morning. But since you asked, Dennis is taking me to dinner and a show. I'm leaving a little early so I can get my nails done. I stared at a gigantic peace sign some graffiti artist had done on one of the Skyway pillars. Well, I'll have you know that a woman called me a wicked handsome dude today. What does that have to do with the price of yak done in Pakistan? Your appearance was never the issue. The train came squealing to a stop at the station, and the door slid open. Commuters tumbled out and broke towards the stairs, like players in a home team introduction. All right, I don't know why I brought it up. Any messages for me? You brought it up because you're still jealous of Dennis, and I think it's cute. Yes, you've got two messages. Chris called and said if you get a chance before this evening, you should stop by and see him. He's got something to show you. Something to show me? What exactly? Gretchen gave a little giggle. He told me, but I really do think you need to see it for yourself. Mere words do not suffice. Swell. It better not be another bottle of green microorganisms. 
What else you got? A woman with a French accent called Odile something, and speaking of interest from the opposite sex, she sounded pretty damn sexy. It pains me to admit this, but I think it's safe to say that she doesn't care for me in that way. Are you sure? She wants you to meet her at 6 at a bar called the Wild Side West on Cortland Avenue. The first of the commuters came pounding up to the top of the stairs, a guy in a black turtleneck with a 10-speed bike balanced on one shoulder and a leather satchel slung over the other. He set the bike down smoothly and pedaled past me in an annoyingly competent maneuver. You think she still expects me? I asked. It's almost six, and I didn't confirm. She said she was going to be there anyway. You're to stop by if you're free. All right, then I will. I cleared my throat a little awkwardly. I'll let you go now so you can get to your nail appointment. Have a good time at the show. How nice, August, Gretchen said brightly. Thank you for not making any jokes about Dennis. Have a good time with your French friend. Don't bet on it, I grumbled. Cortland Avenue ran through the middle of the Bernal Heights district, and the Wild Side West Bar was about halfway between Mission Street and Highway 101, the east-west delimiters of the neighborhood. The exterior was made up like a western saloon, with a hanging shingle sign by the door. Inside were a high wooden ceiling, a bar that could have come off the set of The Good, Bad, and The Ugly, a random collection of scarred wooden tables and chairs that could, and probably did, come from the Salvation Army, and a pool table with blood-red felt. The candelabras and the silk throw pillows hadn't arrived, and no one was looking for them either. Over the bar, a TV was running an episode of Xena, Warrior Princess on mute, but to make up for the lack of sound, speakers at all four corners of the room blared the song Bring Me Some Water by Melissa Etheridge. There were about a dozen women in the bar, and all of them whose lips I could see were mouthing the words to the song. A few of them were also stabbing the air with clenched fists in time to the beat. I was beginning to get a certain idea about the place. Odile was sitting with her back to me at a big table next to a fireplace, whose mantle was decorated with pairs of antique shoes. Her companion across the table was wearing mirrored sunglasses that reflected and distorted my wavering form when she looked up at my approach. Her close-cropped black hair was secured under a blue bandana, and she wore a heavy set of metal chains around her neck, one of them with curved thorn-like spikes, on top of a grease-stained wife-beater. She was smoking a cigarette with a good half-inch of ash clinging to the end, in spite of the state smoking band. "'Odile?' I squeaked like a bad ventriloquist. Etheridge's plaintive lyric raged over the speaker's, can't you see I'm burning alive? And the woman in the bandana sneered, What do you want? Odile glanced back. It is okay, Gina. I invited him. She smiled thinly. I was not sure you would receive my message. Well, I did. She gave me a gallic shrug. Come sit with us. I hesitated, not exactly certain where to sit. I started towards Gina, then thought better of it, and settled on a chair partway between the two women. Gina laughed as I sat down. Feeling a little out of place, are we? Maybe just a little. Gina nodded and took a deep drag on her cigarette. The tip of it glowed red and the long ash plopped under the table. She blew a blue-gray plume of smoke into the air. 
I remember when I was in eighth grade, I used to ask the boys in the lower grade if they knew that their epidermis was showing. They'd get this squirrely look on their face, kind of like you have now, and glance down nervously to see if their fly was open. Then I'd laugh, and most of the time they'd run away in tears. Children can be very cruel, said Odile. They sure can, said Gina, and so can adults. So here's a question I ask now. What's the most useless appendage in the world? She leaned back in her chair, smiling, and I noticed for the first time that she had a stud in her tongue. I don't know, I said slowly. Trailer hitch on a Yugo? Odile made a little snorting noise and covered her mouth in her hand. Gina, I think it is time for Mr. Reardon and I to do our business. Would you give us a few minutes? I will come and get you for another game of pool when we are finished. Gina stood up and walked around to give Odile a kiss on the cheek. I love the way you French chicks say pool. Sounds like you got yourself a live one, I said after she had gone. Yes, she is very alive, and as you can realize, she is also very protective of me. But we are only friends. I see. Well, I'm sure you didn't ask me down here to talk about your love life. Did you get a chance to look at the files I left? Odile took a sip from a glass of dark beer at her elbow and shook her head. Yes, I examined them. But I would know more of what happened to the girl before I speak of the files. I gave her a rundown of Carolyn's history, including what I knew about her family life and what had happened to her, Monica, and the Japanese girl. I concluded with the story of Carolyn's second suicide attempt. Odile frowned. I am a little surprised that she should try again. Why? The first attempt. Well, that was probably a dramatic way to get the attention of her parents and communicate her shame with what had happened. The thing she said to you at the hospital. Go back and tell my mother what a damaged piece of goods I am is very consistent with that. She wished for her parents to take her back into their lives and reaffirm her value, to deny that she was damaged. But the second? The second attempt would seem to come from a more genuine sense of despair. By that time, I would hope that she had received the reassurance from her parents that she craved, at least from her mother. If not, or if there was some new setback, she might have tried again, but still. Her voice trailed off. A new Etheridge song came over the speakers, seemingly louder than the first, if that was possible. I pulled my chair closer to the table, but still what? She blew air through her lips. My impression of Carolyn from reading Levin's files is that she is, at core, a very strong person. She does not fit my model of someone who would actually kill herself. Her brother did. Yes, but the mother told you he was taking the acne medicine that has been linked to suicide in teens. She held up her hands. In truth, it is all speculation. No one can ever tell you why someone kills herself, especially a shrink who has been fired less than six months after she finishes her residency. I'll take your speculations over Dr. Levin's pronouncements in a heartbeat. Speaking of which, he hinted that Carolyn's father abused her, 
Did you see any evidence to support that? No. She made no mention of it to Levin. But it is certain that their relationship was strained. Like many fathers, he did not know how to talk to her once she reached puberty. And once the son died, the fracture between them grew larger. He made some clumsy attempts to draw her closer, by buying her expensive gifts, for instance. But by then he was drinking heavily, and she had lost respect for him. A waitress appeared at my left elbow and set a large schooner of dark beer in front of me. Compliments of the lady at the pool table, she said. I looked over to the table to find Gina squinting at me without her shades as she inhaled another cigarette. I held the schooner up in salute, and she did the same with her cue. There, said Odile, you have made a new friend. I nodded as I took a big gulp of the beer. I'm just glad I didn't meet her in grade school. Listen, the main thing I'm interested to learn is if there's any indication of who might have done this to Carolyn. Odile pushed down the sleeve of the black sweater she was wearing and rearranged the thin silver bracelets at her wrist. I think it is likely that she knew the person who, who disfigured her, perhaps knew him very well. Why? The level of humiliation she evidently felt. When you are betrayed by someone you know, it is much worse than being taken advantage of by a stranger. If by a stranger, it is easier to admit what happened and seek the help of parents or the authorities. But having a friend do this would be very, how do you say it, de... Degrading? Exactement. Then you don't think the website had anything to do with it. Odile placed four elegant fingers along her cheek and shook her head. I did not say that. It may have had everything to do with it. If a friend or acquaintance saw Carolyn and Monica on the website, partially disrobed or catering to the fetishes of admirers, as he would never see the girls in real life, he may have felt emboldened to treat them as sexual fetishes. From what you say, this is exactly how Dr. Levin behaved. I took another sip of beer and relaxed back into my chair. Mercifully, the Etheridge CD had ended, leaving only the background murmur of conversation, the clinking of bar glasses, and the occasional kiss of pool balls. I'm a little surprised you would say that, because I suggested something very similar to a friend recently. I speculated that the website had somehow been a catalyst for the killer to act out a fantasy. Odile stared at me for a moment, then smiled and shook her head. Now I am the one to be surprised. What we are talking about, in effect, is the objectification of women, to create a something out of a someone. It is a topic for which feminist scholars have much passion. I would not expect a, a man like you to have entertained such thoughts. Thank you for using the word man instead of Neanderthal. But if the killer is a friend who acted because of the website, how do you explain the Japanese girl? She doesn't have a website, and she had only been in the country for a few months, presumably not long enough to have made many friends. How do you know she does not have a website? It may be a Japanese site, but she could still have it. And friends do not take so very long to make. It seems clear from what you say that the killer is associated with the art school. She must have met him there. I tugged on my earlobe, thinking. Everything you say points back to Wesson. I had pretty much decided that he was innocent. He may well be. 
Carolyn never mentioned him to Levin. This I know. What friends did she mention? There seems to be no one left. Odile shrugged her gallic shrug. There is a boyfriend, of course. I reached for the edge of the table and pulled myself forward. Levin said she didn't have a boyfriend. When I told him that Carolyn's mother thought she did, he bristled at the suggestion. In fact, he later chastised Carolyn in an email for getting involved with someone. Dumb shit, she said matter-of-factly. That is very much like him. Carolyn talked several times of a new friend she had made at school, but never actually called him her boyfriend. Levin wouldn't want her to be involved with anyone else. So naturally he would ignore or misinterpret what she was saying. He put all of this in his notes? No. He only wrote his conclusions there. This is from sessions I heard from the tapes. It was frustrating to know that Levin could have pointed me in the right direction, if only he'd unplugged his ears. What can you tell me about the boyfriend, then? Not a great deal. Levin did not let her speak of him for very long. Carolyn said he was a talented artist whose work was misunderstood. I have the impression that he was a student at the school at one point, but no longer registered. It was clear she admired him very much. What about a name? Did she mention a name? Odile smiled almost coyly, causing the skin around her eyes to crinkle. You are going to think me very silly or very clever. Carolyn never mentioned his name while she was in session. But one time, Levin's receptionist pulled him out of the room to deal with some emergency. You have the picture? Carolyn was alone, but the tape continued while Levin was gone. And? And she made a phone call. It was very short. She said, Cricket, it's me. I'm almost done with the witch doctor. Meet me on hate in 30 minutes. The other person must have agreed, and then I heard her put the phone back in her purse. Cricket? That's not much to go on. It might not even be the person you think was her boyfriend. As I said, you may think me very silly or very clever. I rubbed my face and glanced around the bar. Gina was lounging against the pool table with a cue in her hands, watching our conversation intently. She nodded fractionally when I caught her eye. I looked back to Odile. I should let you get back to your pool game. Thank you for taking the time to look through the files. You've given me some new things to go on. You are welcome. I feel perhaps I misjudged you the tiniest bit. I am sorry I threw the box on your foot when we met at the office. That's okay. I probably deserved it. One last question. If you were me, what would you do next? Odile looked at me soberly and pushed her lips into a little pout. If I were you, I would look for other art school students who have websites and find out if they know anyone named Cricket. You have been listening to Candy from Strangers, a book Mystery Scene magazine described as crackling and whip smart. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at 
markcoggins.com. <laughs>